internet. Welcome to a new episode of The Light. I'm Scott Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by the always unpredictable Detron Edwards and the mythical and diabolical John L. Fellas, what's up? What's good? What's up? What's up? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. You know, just loving all the uh, attention we've been getting lately. Two weeks in a row, 10,000 downloads per show. That is outstanding. That's a freaking monster. Great. Please keep sharing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, we're, we're loving the feedback on the fan page. We're loving it on the uh, social media sites, the Twitter, the, I, the IG is steadily coming along. Mm-hmm. So please continue to get at us. Please continue to share the information that, uh, you know, that we're putting down out here. Because I'm telling you right now, guys, we're Scott, myself, and Detron, we're having a great time doing this. I mean, this is a wonderful opportunity. And... We just want you guys to keep listening and, you know, keep reaching out. Uh, hit the site. Don't forget about those T-shirts, Scott. We got those lady T-shirts coming out soon. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, we have another uh, logo release coming up pretty soon. You know, a little alternate logo release uh, for some of the new T-shirts. Uh, of course, everything, you know, it's the holiday gift uh, season time. So let's reach out and let's grab these, uh, you know, some of this the light apparel. Mm-hmm. And just continue to keep sharing. I mean, every everything is big right now, Scott. Every everything is big, and it's great. Definitely, I'm loving it too, man. I mean, like you were saying, the the feedback from the show. Honestly, you know, when we started this thing, you know, you would love to sit back and say that it's going to jump, right? It's going to jump off, and we're going to be a success. But you never really know. You always have those doubts, right? But to hear and and actually see that people are listening to what it is we're babbling about is just amazing to me. <laughs> it really is amazing to me. And me too, man. Yeah, yeah. So where's Deshaun at? Deshaun, where you at, man? I'm, I'm right here, man. I'm right here, you know, enjoying life, living, everything, loving it, uh, you know, hitting some of my boys up in the comedy business, some of the female comedians up in the business, you know, catching up with them, uh, working on some things, hopefully, uh, Hopefully by next year, it'll be a uh, TV show coming out. I got to do a sit down over uh, Thanksgiving with a friend mm-hmm. and see how we can work that out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to bring my cousin on. He's the head of my security. Uh-oh. So y'all, y'all know, I want, I want to bring him, bring him on. Let him say what's up to people. Let him talk to y'all. You know, he, <laughs> he, he ain't been on the radio before, so he, he want to come in and talk. He, hold, hold on. Yo, come in. Come in, cuz. Come in. Yeah, it's good. Hello. What's up, man? What's up, man? Yeah, what's up? What's yeah. up, bro? It's good. It's good. It's good. Good job. Hold on. Okay. What's so, up, man? What's your name, man? What's up? What's up? Uh, what? Oh. What? What's your, what's your name, man? What's your name? Oh, uh, you know, IGB. GB. They call me I, IG. I, IGB. Yeah. IGB? What the? Yeah. That's Scott. Scott, what's what's translation, Scott? I was about to ask you the same thing, man. What, what's IGB? Listen, if shit pop off, I go back. I don't care about going back. I go back to prison <laughs> in the heartbeat. Oh, so they call me IGB. I go back. Damn, you just you, know, uh, you just hard, huh? You just hard. Yeah, that's is what it is. The pause. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> I do what I do. <laughs> I break chicken necks. I break turkey necks. <laughs> and if a thug step up, I break muscle neck. That's whatever you want to do. Like, I'm the dude listening. Okay. All you got to do is buy me a dollar worth of ham, dollar worth of cheese, and I'm good for the day. And the two boiled eggs. And I'm snapping necks and backs. Remember, I, I, I GB all day, all day. 
But hold up, man. You know that there's other food out there you can eat. You're not in prison no more, right? You got Wendy's, Taco Bell. I mean, you don't have to eat that, right? Listen, man. If it don't come in a plastic wrapper, I don't want it. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way it is in a penile. Understand what I'm saying? That's the way it is in the penile, man. Listen, slide it under the pillow, leave it in the room. I get at it. You know what I'm saying? IGB. I go back. I don't care. I'll make a one-on sandwich. You know what a one-on sandwich is? That's uh. anything in your cell that can stick to your gut. So you sit up there, you get you some bread, you get you some oodles and noodles, you put it on the sandwich, you get some, some mayonnaise, some mustard, whatever else. Even if you got some peanut butter, put it on there. A one-on sandwich to keep you thick. That's how brothers get get, get their muscle on in the penile. Understand what I'm saying? Like I, I said, I, I, I GBB okay. all day, all day, all day. I go okay. back. I, I don't care. Well, See, what? I, I, now you, I, I feel a little safer. I do. I, you, I, I do you, feel nah, safer. Because you dudes interrupt me. I don't like light-skinned people as it is anyway. You yeah. interrupt me. <laughs> all right, my bad. Uh, uh, okay, sorry, sorry, man. Sorry. Oh, oh. Oh, you, now y'all Joe Pesci in me, right? Y'all laughing at me. I'm a clown. I'm using, right? Word is born to the gods, oceans, and the seas, you know. Hey, did you. did your cousin tell you what kind of show this is? I mean, I know this is your first time on radio. And, man, you, listen, and listen, you sound kind of nervous, you know what I mean? But uh, just Nervous. Nervous, but, man, listen, man. <laughs> I sharpen my knuckles on, on, on razors. What are you talking about, man? Brillo pads. I keep Brillo pads in my gloves for little, little dudes like you. Say something else. I TV all day, all day. All day. I got you, man. I appreciate you coming through. I, I, I appreciate you coming through anytime. All right. <laughs> Anybody need? Look, I'm, I'm on. Uh, what's that? Uh, how you spell it? T T I P. No. Oh, oh, Twitter. Yeah. All right. So I'm on Twitter. I G B all day, all day. I'm on. Uh, what's the face? What is it? Facebook. My, yeah, man. All right, smart guy. Listen. <laughs> I'm on Facebook to IGB all day, all day. I'm on, uh, what's the other one, man? Instagram. Oh, here he go. He interrupted me because I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you because just listen, I'll go back. I'll do one of these light skinned dudes dirty and go back. Yeah, man, I'm on that thing right there. The boy said IGB all day, all day, man. Listen, y'all need some security work? I go back all day, all day. Yo, Lucius Lyman, <laughs> yo, get at me, brother. You need somebody like me on your team. We'll do that. IGP all day, all day. We'll do that. Yeah, and y'all be, y'all be cool, man. See, you keep, man, I'm telling you, all you right, gonna man. go outside. Okay, man. You, you gonna leave the studio, and it's gonna be real dark one night, and you go all you ain't gonna hear nothing but a scream, and you gonna be gone. Keep it up, IGP all day, all day. I go back. I go back. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. God, damn, <laughs> Y'all kept cutting them off. That's one of his things. Y'all, y'all hitting trigger points, and y'all, I'm sitting here with him, <laughs> next to me. <laughs> and y'all, I'm half light skinned too. You know, I'm brown skin. He choked me just for fun. <laughs> we wasn't cutting them off. We was having a normal conversation. He just, I guess, he don't like us. You know what I'm saying? Not listen. You got to yeah, understand. We were just gotta, talking to the cat, man. You got to be gentle and cautious with dudes that just came out. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? They used to prison life. You, you can't sit up there and turn your back on them or step on their sneakers. As, you know, if, if he offer you tea, take it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just even if it ain't sweet, just it, it. You drink that. You know what I'm saying? So what's good, Dad? How was your week, man? It's good, man. It's good. Uh, you know, some things happen. It's, it's just nothing but comedy. I said I was going to talk about this, and it's funny. Is I don't know what. And I say like this: 
people that get on there, you know, get down on their luck. I don't knock you for doing that because anything can happen to anybody in their lifetime. I know friends that have been CEOs of companies, people that have been law enforcement, all this stuff. At the end of the day, when they lose their job and you got to start all over again, I've seen dudes sit up there end up on social services that used to be CEOs of companies or on food stamps. And some people sometimes forget that. But in this case, there was nothing like that that happened to me where, you know, I fell for a hard time. I'm sitting up here, at, you know, at the house. I get a knock at the door. They're repoing one of my vehicles. And I'm sitting up to like, what the, you know, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Not paying. So I had to go through a whole day dispute with this little funky behind company of them telling me I wasn't paying my bills for my car and I got a little a dude on the other end, Mr. Bacon, you know who you are, you little punk, you know, cause you, you, you know, you're a telephone tough guy. <laughs> you were real tough over the telephone, you know what I'm saying? But you kind of do get choked in a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he was real tough about it. And at the end of the day, they come to find out the money was applied. My money payments were applied to a different account. A whole three months worth of payments were applied to a different account. They ended up having to pay the repo company to come drop my truck off back off on my property. And the repo company was laughing like they're a bunch of idiots. And did one time, did they apologize? No. At one time, did they say, I'm sorry? No. All they said after that was, uh, we're not going to admit wrongdoing. We're not going to say we were right, but the numbers were off on on the on the uh, the check or whatever. We so it made us put it to this account instead of that account. Okay, but there's a slip sent in <laughs> with the payment each time. So how could you make that mistake that many times or whatever? Uh, you know, it's it's hilarious, man. But like I said, sh- shout out to Pitbull Recovery and uh, <laughs> professional. <laughs> private towing and recovery specialist. My man John owns that uh, company. 862-243-2090. Remember, 862-243-2090. If somebody's in your spot and you want them towed, call Pitbull Recovery. They're out of uh, Hapakon, New Jersey. There's, you know, I swear to God, man. <laughs> How did that crow taste? Damn. I can't say the name of the, sh- name of the company or the uh, dude's full name, but uh, I'm going to tell you right now, He's a punk to me, and I hope you listen because you are a coward and a punk because you got real tough over the phone and you were acting like a little woman of who you're going to tell off and say this and that to. And your company's been known to be sued constantly and nothing but a ripoff. So You should have said IGB in that, though. You have him right there at your disposal. No need to send no need to send him because we'd have had every car sitting on the lot in my house. <laughs> they have dropped new cars off of my house. So listen, just take that one. Take just keep him there. Take that one. So uh-uh, nah, we don't need that. Nah, not at all. I'm glad it worked out for you though, man. Um I'm definitely glad it worked out for you. You got your car back, man. That's that's bullshit. I mean we all go through it, but I'm glad you got it worked out. Yeah, I mean, you can't tell me that, you know. I'm not paying when I am, and you, more power to you and your billion-dollar financial institution that you talk so highly about, you Parker. You know what a Parker is? No. Nah. That's the that's the toughest black guy at a white lacrosse fraternity. Oh. That's that's what he is, a Parker. <laughs> got you, got you, got you. All right, fellas. So, you know, just to kind of recap what we did last week. I mean, we we talked about. The Ghetto Boys, it talks about not their debut album, but Scarface's debut album and grip it on that other level. And I think we touched a nerve. 
I think we touched a nerve in the hip hop community, even more specifically with our followers. I mean, a lot of people came back and commented on that particular episode. I mean, and that kind of proved, I think, the point that we were trying to make last week in that, you know, hip hop definitely had a following in the South, especially back in the late 80s, early 90s, or what we call now the golden age of hip hop. Without the ghetto boys, the gateway to the South would have never been open. Scarface, he kicked that door down and um, he's pretty much held it open ever since. Um, he's gone on to become you know, one of the greatest MCs. Duke Booty! <laughs> yeah, no doubt. One of, the, one, of, one of the greatest MCs of all time. So I definitely enjoyed doing the episode with you guys. Um, this week, though, I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready, Denton, John. I think, you know, we, we came back up to New York. We're going to talk about, you know, one of the most influential, one of the most iconic hip-hop groups of all time with Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. We come at it, though, kind of different. You know, we come at it, you know, with, at a different angle, and I think you guys will definitely enjoy it. Um, so, that all being said, um, are you guys ready to kick this thing off? Yeah, yeah. You know it. All right, fellas, you're listening to The Light Podcast, and as always, you can reach us on Twitter, at The Light Podcast, or on our Facebook page. All you got to do is search for The Light Podcast and drop us a message. We always, always respond, and we always show love. Now, a little knowledge for your brains. As always, we like to give y'all a little black history and hip-hop history and uh, a positive quote. So I'm going to start it off this time with a little hip-hop history. I got I to gotta give it to these dudes. November 1st in hip-hop history, 1994, Brand Nubians released their third LP, Everything is Everything. Now, if you are a Brand Nubian fan, you truly know these brothers, they held us down and they were gifted. Lord Jamal Sadat X. You know, Sonny Carson's son. Now, now, if you don't understand or know who Sonny Carson is, go look up the movie, The Miseducation. Mis- uh, it was, it, she took her song after it, The Miseducation of Warren Hill, and it was The Education of Sonny Carson. So it was a movie titled that, and that's actually Sadat X's father. Like I said, on this date in hip hop history, November 1st, 1994, Brand Nubian released their third LP. Everything is everything. Now, as we branch on to black history, let me give you this. November 5th, 1968, Shirley Chisholm becomes the first, the first black woman to be elected into Congress, representing Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, New York in 1968. But she represented the nation of black men, black women, and black children to become the first woman ever elected into Congress. Now, what you have to understand is that was more than anything else in the world to some people to be positive because around those times we had the racism, race riots, we had the the boycott marches, we had Martin Luther King, we had everything. And what we ended up having is a African-American woman that they thought highly enough to sit up there and make her a member of Congress 
back in 1968 when we were pretty much running for our lives. So y'all gotta make sure that y'all y'all go back, research that woman, and take a take a page out of her book. All right. And as we close out this segment with a positive quote, for those people that consider themselves leaders, I want you to understand this. Being positive in a negative situation is not naive. It's leadership. So understand that. If your troops see that the leader of the group is getting frustrated, is upset, or thinking negatively, then those behind you will reflect negatively. So you got to understand, attitude reflects leadership. So being positive in a negative situation is not naive. It's leadership. Y'all have a good one. Peace. Now let's take time out to say peace to the gods. Bust how release cause this beat is hard. We beat the squad but raw taught to rule. Take a thought to the top, now I drop the jewel. Push the Cadillac to feel, still be real. I drive a garbage truck and not give up. I need to earn the buck for the gear. I'm through with buying wild gear. Just suck my career, something flowing out there. Well now we're here to take the gold and the cash for the billfold. I told they ass to chill and they still cold. Frozen cause they're not amongst the chosen one. Sun shines like a Similar to how As I speak. received the mic for the last time I clear up your past crime All felonies could go As long as you know brand newbie and will stand Without the use of a band We always work with a plan Come on, to do here right now is we're going to try to break stride you know normally you know we do the album review and we did that movie review episode a couple weeks ago that that worked out really well but what you know i think we should do and you know what we talked about is spending some time maybe once a month you know to go back and pay homage to the greats i think it would you know definitely add some some honesty and some responsibility to our show if we kind of go back and pay homage to these people that helped build hip-hop to what it is today and to be quite honest they're the reason why we're sitting here at this table you know having this discussion so i can think of no better better icon because let's just call them what they are they're icons uh than right, Grand, right. Than, than, uh, grandmaster flash to begin this this conversation so i like to begin the conversation you know with a question okay and the reason why i'm asking this question is because i did a little bit of research you know, before we, we started taping. And what I did was I asked my little cousin. I said, uh, I said, hey, man, I said, who was Grandmaster Flash? He said, it's that dude from the video game. You know, you know, kids these days, that's their whole reality. Everything revolves around the Internet, YouTube, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. 
But there's, I don't even know what the name of the game is, but apparently Flash is a, is a, is a character on a, on a PlayStation game. He said, yeah, it's that dude on that, on that game. I think it's Grand Theft Auto or something like that. And that's when it hit me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these kids have no damn idea of, of what's going on. Listen, man, when you said Grandmaster Flash was on a video game, you know the first thing I thought to myself was? What's that? Grandmaster Flash is on a video game? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had no idea yeah. that Grandmaster Flash is on a video game. Yeah. Well, you know, way to, way to get that royalty money, Flash. But at the same time, I would have never guessed that he was on a video game. Yeah. And, you know, if you were to ask me that question about who Grandmaster Flash is, my response would be Grandmaster Flash is an absolute builder. He's a cornerstone when you uh, think about hip hop. Right. You can't you can't have hip hop without Grandmaster Flash. And of course, you got to finish it off with and the Furious Five. Their their top songs is definitely a short list. You know what I mean? The the first ones rattle off the top of your head, but I think when a lot of people think Grandmaster Flash, one of the first songs they'll think of is the message oh absolutely because it hits so hard you know what i'm saying whatever it came out so you know you talking to hip-hop heads i think they're going to either say cornerstone or they're going to say a message i think i really get disgusted by these kids nowadays honest to god because i mean when you sit up there and you ask uh, a kid what's old school and they start telling you cash money <laughs> you gotta look what at some of the kids you wanna smack them. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Jump, just go to the third floor, jump out the window, and kill yourself. You know? <laughs> Who's old school to you? Yo, man, back in the days, oh man, you know Lil Wayne was hitting. He was, he's old school. You start looking like, are you serious? Nah, really? Alright, I'll keep it real with you. Nelly's old school. What? <laughs> you gotta really look at him like, are you serious? No, man, are you, you know, do your history, man. But then you also had those little young cats that sit up there and think that's old school, and they always talking about, yo, yo, I'm telling you, I'm about to set it off, and I'm about to do this and that. Yo, I'm in the studio all day, every day. But you don't know nothing about the history of what you're trying to get involved in. That's just like you trying to become a football player, you know, without any God-given talent in your senior year of high school. Like, I'm going to go pro. But <laughs> you just became a football player senior year in high school. Mm. Come on, dude. You can't do that. You got to go back and be taught the basics of anything. If you're on a job, you got to be taught the basics. You don't go on the job the first day and try to become the branch manager. You got to work your way up. Just start pressing buttons. So I'm just going to get behind the mic and they're going to give me a million dollars for what I'm saying. And I mean, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm going to be honest because I guess I'm the asshole of the group. But let's be real. There's some stuff that's been sent in to us that we're listening to. Now, as we said, we can't make your career. We can't do anything for you as far as your career because we're just a radio show. However, there's some stuff that gets sent in to us. And I got to be real. Some of y'all suck, man. <laughs> some of y'all do. And you need to go back to the drawing board and, and start all over. I'm not going to say quit your career. But some of y'all really need to go back to the drawing board. Don't send people unfinished stuff or stuff that... Just because your family or your friends are telling you you hot, that you think you hot. Mm -hmm. No, that doesn't work. You got to go back to the beginning. Go back to the drawing board. Learn your craft. Learn what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know how many times I had to get booed off stage or travel to a show 
where I wasn't making no money at all, you know, to the next show, to the show after that, just sit back writing all over again just to learn my craft and perfect things. A lot of people don't understand. I've been in this game. I've been in the comedy game since the 90s. So for people to tell me, oh, man, you just saying that. Just, no, I've struggled. I remember eating lava beans for a week because I had no money to eat nothing else just to make it to the next show, to save, for, save money for gas to make it to the next show. So you have to learn your craft. For these dudes out here coming out, and you're saying, oh, who's Grandmaster Flash? Kiss my ass. <laughs> well, let me, let, me, let me phrase another question, though. I mean, trying to, again, I'm always playing the devil's advocate, all right? I mean, trying to look at it from their perspective, right? You're new. You're young. You're young, and you're trying to get into the game. Right, and you're creating music and stuff because again, you know, hip hop at its at its core is all about celebrating creativity. Always remember that. But I mean, whose fault is it that they don't really know or understand what his relevance is to the game? Whose fault is it? Is it his fault? No, it's their fault. No. Bottom line, yeah, exactly. it's just like school. It's just mm -hmm. like school. There's an education. There's, there's books out there in the library. Yeah, it's up to you to go look at those books and get that knowledge and gain that you know knowledge yourself and and understand no what those books have. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're sitting up there saying, I'm in this game and I'm going to do this and that, and th this is the blueprint I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow these thug dudes out here instead of actually going back to the beginning and finding out, listen, the struggle some dudes really had, and you're saying, oh, I'm going to follow them. Okay, well, 90% of them really didn't go to jail. 90% of them don't really have it like they have it. Those cars and the money you see in the video, once the video shoot is over, that money goes back in the briefcase or gets shredded because it's fake. <laughs> and those cars right, go back right. to the rental, rental place. So it's their fault, not Flash's fault, because Flash is there. Flash is history already. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. History is the past. History is what you need to research for yourself to say, yo, I know that from history. I know that from history. You know more about the, who got shot on the corner or got robbed two years ago then you know about your own black history, your, your people's history, whether you're black or not, your own family's history, or the history of hip-hop that you're trying to be in. Mm -hmm. So stop sitting up there saying, oh, you know, I, I know history about this and that, and then you come with some, some BS history, and I'm looking at you like you're a damn clown. Don't do that. That's not good. That's not a good look. So, it, I mean, basically, as you, as you just said, that would be kind of like a comedian trying to get into the game, not knowing who Richard Pryor is. Exactly. You know what I'm Thank saying? Thank you, John. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you you just can't. And I'm not talking about Joe Listener. I'm talking about if you're trying to be in the hip hop industry, to any regard. All right. You're trying to be a part of the hip hop culture. The only way, as we have described many times, the way we judge an MC, the way we look at you know, the graffiti artists, the way we look at the dancers, the breakers, is by that one word that starts with that letter A, and that's that authenticity. So if you're not coming with that authenticity, however you're trying to vibe within the hip-hop art form, then you're not going to get recognized as somebody who should be in it, so you're going to get called out like Debt just so eloquently said in the beginning of his soliloquy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go back and learn your craft before you sit up and start putting stuff out to them. Like, yeah, I'm a rapper. I'm going to be making all this money. I'm going to be doing this net. You know what? That's fine. But 
make sure you got a job to fall back on, an education to fall back on. Don't just get out there saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I don't know who Grandmaster Flash is. Melly Mel, the Furious Five, the Funky Four plus one more. You know, half of y'all don't even know who Roxy and Shantae is. And that was one of the biggest albums there was. At that time, yeah. Definitely at that time. Yeah, at that time. You were saying, Scott? No, yeah. I was I was going to say we were talking about, talking about history. I mean, again, we're not a biographical radio show. That's not what we do. We let the albums, we let, you know, the records, we let, you know, hip-hop in general drive our, you know, tabletop discussion. But let's just go back just for two minutes and talk about just the elements of history as it revolves around Flash, just on the surface. I mean, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, I mean, just concentrating on those members right there. You're talking Flash, Cowboy, Kid Creole, Melly Mel, Raheem, and Scorpio. I mean, just those members right there. Cowboy, he's the one that coined the term hip-hop, the term that we use over and over and over again in all of our discussion. And then you got You know what? And I'm going to tell you this. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, Scott, but I'm going to tell you this. They were the ones that actually, you know, street names like that. Mm -hmm. But when people started hearing the street names coming from them, even though you had other people out there like Curtis Blow, you had this person, that person out there. But when people heard their names, that's when you had a lot of the big explosion of everybody wanting to have a damn nickname in the hood. Mm -hmm. They were so influential. Like I said, Cowboy coined the term hip hop. And then you had Mel. He's the one that first used the word MC. So these are the words that we throw around so freely right now when discussing the culture. It came from these dudes right here, man. These guys are framers. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? These guys are the founding fathers of hip-hop. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you peel it all back because of just what you said, and these guys were all part of the same crew, and look how much hip-hop that we use today that we got from just this one crew. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and Mel went off to do his thing. Everybody kind of did their thing a little bit in different directions, but they all remained hip-hop, and they're all so much a part of hip-hop today that if you're a part of hip-hop and you don't know who these people are, then you can't really say that you're a part of hip hop. Absolutely. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be honest with you. No, nah, you're, you're and I'm saying in any realm of the hip hop sphere, if you're saying you're part of that sphere, then you must know who these people are. Absolutely. I don't care when you, I don't care when you jump into the game. Right. And you know that's a perfect segue into the next part of our conversation. Now I'm gonna take a risk here. I'm gonna go out on a limb and make a strong statement. All right. We've covered a lot of classic records on this on this show, a lot of classic records and gotten, you know, some great feedback from from our listeners on those discussions. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. Their song, their record, The Message, released in 1982, is the most significant hip hop record of the era. Bar none. Classic era of hip hop. There is no greater significant record than the message. I stand by that 100%. What do you think? You're saying in 1982. I'm talking about in the classic. And, in the classic, Yeah, no, in the, the classic era of hip hop. So you got the golden era was kind of dropped. Right. Like around right. 80, 89. And it kind of right. right. ended with, um, you know, with, you know, Jay-Z's The Black Album. Let's, let's, let's just call that right. the golden right. era right there. The classic, okay. the classic era. You know, you're talking about the founding fathers. You're talking about Flash. Right. You know, it kind of okay, migrates. Okay. You know, it you know migrates into Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. You know, the creation of Def Jam. You know, and it kind of right. ended. I think the classic era ends with like the symphony. 
right? Marley Mars, a symphony record. Ooh. You know what I mean? Okay. I got it. Okay, I was, I was, I was going to stretch it to the classics to about eighty-seven. Well, so that would be even though it's PE's debut, but I I would because rap started. I mean, hip hop started taking that turn. But Mm -hmm. I hear you though. That's not a bad. That's not a bad. That's not a bad. You know, segue there. I'm talking about traditional boom bap. The DJ, you got the MC. You know what I'm talking about. The classical. Oh, I, okay, 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 right, okay, right. okay. The formative okay. years. Talking, right, the formative yeah, years. You're talking two turntables and a microphone. Yeah, you got it. You got it. I'm talking got about it. the formative years of hip-hop. The message drops. There is no more significant record than that one for the era. I would agree with you 150%. I mean, you could play the message today. 2015, you know, it's Christmas time, you know, 2015, and I guarantee you people are going to shut the hell up and listen to it. You know what? You said something that's perfect right there, Scott. What's up? You said Christmas, Christmas time. Because you know what's funny? What's up? That is the time me and my boys, when we get together, like we may be over each other's house around Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays, Mm -hmm. we'll play the Shy Lights, we'll play, you know, the Temptations, we'll play old school music like uh r&b music right but then in there when we when the you know when the stuff starts flowing you know really good for us all right the alcohol starts flowing really good mm-hmm. we'll sit up there and we'll put on grandmaster flash the furious five we'll put on old school stuff that you just can't hear anymore nope i mean we'll put on the symphony the symphony is one of the all-time greatest right up there with the message oh yeah so yeah mm-hmm. around the holidays you just you brought me back with that. You almost had a flashback for a second there. It, ain't that something? Oh, don't hurt nobody. Don't hurt nobody. Well, the holidays, music. Ooh. Yeah, but that's the whole point of this conversation, and that's why you know I enjoy it so much. I mean, we get together and we start talking. I mean, we all go back with hip hop so far. I mean, I think that's the reason why we sound like you know crotchety old men when we talk about hip hop because we understand. We understand. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, right? I'm not, I'm not crotchety. I'm not crotchety. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm trying. I'm trying to give a visual. You know, uh, surly. That is that, makes, is, is that know, a better me, word? Surly. No, I'm not surly either. Crotchety. Because surly, surly, surly <laughs> makes me seem like Samuel L. Jackson from Black Snake. All right, Mode. All, right all right, sensitive. And I don't want to be surly. Sensitive, <laughs> sensitive hip hop heads. How about and that? Crotchety, no, crotchety sound like your balls stink. My, I wash mine. They don't stink. <laughs> uh, all right, so how would you phrase it? Seasoned. Aficionados, aficionados of hip-hop. Oh, I like that one. I like that better. I think we come off as, you know, seasoned aficionados of hip-hop, you know, for a reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite you guys part of the second verse of the message, and I'm going to let it resonate for a second, and then let's hit on it together. I'll bring it in from the chorus, all right? He says, it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. A child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. God is smiling on you, but he's frowning too, because only God knows what you'll go through. You'll grow in the ghetto, living second rate, and your eyes will sing a song called Deep Hate. The places you play and where you stay looks like one great big alleyway. That's why, to me, that song is so damn important. Mel was laying out the, the unfortunate reality of what it meant to live in the South Bronx, you know what I'm saying, back in the late 70s and the early 80s. And sad to say, I mean, even though you can remove the word South Bronx and apply it to inner city USA, 
And that verse right there still resonates. It's the struggle, man. No doubt. No, yeah. Because mm-hmm. when, you, when you look at it, man, they're still talk, they were talking about then the same things that are going on now. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it is still the same struggle. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I look at the fact that, you know, as soon as the song opens, it talks about broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stairs, you know, they just don't care. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, he's telling you, this is where he lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He has to walk through this. Imagine, you know, for all the podcast listeners out there, you know, one of the best things about hip hop, one of the best things about art is the fact that you get to, for a moment in time, if you allow yourself to really be submersed in whatever art form that you're taking in, you get to be, you get to transcend, you get to be transfixed on something else. If you can imagine just for a moment that you get up, you go to work in the morning, that's the, you know, the struggle enough, right? Who really likes getting up in the morning? And if you do, you're, you know, part of the few. <laughs> but let's just be honest, you know, but if you got to get up in the morning and just deal with the regular stuff. But imagine you got to walk through broken glass everywhere and piss. This is outside his front door. So rather he's trying to get back and forth to work, back and forth to the studio, back and forth to take his kids to the bus stop so they can go to school. This is what his reality is. And that's one of the greatest things about art is that it allows you to experience someone else's situation, experience someone else's emotional state, mental state. And in some instances, their physical state, if you allow yourself to be affected enough by whatever that art form is that you're taking in. Mm-hmm. And then he tells you, hey, move out, right? Who, who would want to live there? So go ahead and just move out. You know what I'm saying? But he can't, and he tells you, got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice, you know? He would love to move out. He don't want to stay there. I got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. This was the state of hip hop that we were introduced to. This is what we grew up in, the three of us, right? I think this is why we're so sensitive to the culture. We're so sensitive to the state of the culture right now. I mean, back then, you could feel what hip-hop meant to these, to these artists back then. I mean, you don't make a song like this. It's like you go back to, like, you know, uh, singers like Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and things like that, right? They were singing their lives out to you on the stage, and you felt it, you know what I'm saying? Songs like this, to me, are exactly the same. You don't you can't pull a song like this off unless you don't feel it, unless you don't feel it in your heart and your soul. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that's, you know, we keep talking about the difference between back then and now. I think that's what's missing in some of the records that we hear now. I'm not saying all the records, all the hip-hop records back then was like that, but right, right. you could feel that these, that these artists, you know, artists like, you know, Flash and the Furious Five, and they, they put their heart and soul into it, and we can tell the difference. That's why it pisses us off so much when you hear bullshit. And the other reason it pisses me off whenever we hear nonsense coming out of these new age hip hop artists is because the framers, the founding fathers of hip hop, didn't make money off of hip hop. They were doing this out of the love for the art form. They had no idea what they were sitting on. Listen, I don't know Grandmaster Flash. I don't know. I don't know any of these guys, but something tells me that they have enough intelligence to be able to know that if hip hop was going to become the money-making gold mine that it is today, 
they would have definitely approached their business model from a different perspective when they first came out. I'm not saying it would have altered their art form. But what I am saying is from the business side of things, things would have went a heck of a lot different. I understand, you know, Jay-Z shouldn't reach in his pocket and give, you know, Melly Mel any money. I, I get all that. Everybody got to make their own cake. But nonetheless, if you're trying to get into that hip-hop game and you can't understand how these people fit in and you can't understand what they did and how they sacrificed for you to sit there, you know, to, to reap all the millions that you're reaping from it, then there's something wrong with that. In my opinion, there's something really wrong with that. 100% right, man. I agree. And I think, you know, you hit on a really important part of this in the beginning of what you just said was the business model. There was none. <laughs> Back then when these guys were doing it, there was no business model. It was just a bunch of dudes sitting around making music. Right? So when records, right, so, right. When, so when records like The Message hit, they hit hard. I mean, you saw the video for The Message. It was somebody with a you know what I'm saying, with a, with, a, with a regular camera following these dudes around. It wasn't nothing. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't nothing with any type of, you know, production value to it. But when this record hit, it hit hard. And then the money start, start, you know, started coming in. And what happens when the money starts coming in? If there's no business model. <laughs> start. Yeah. If, there's right. no, if there are no right. contracts to speak of in place, people start beefing. And that's what happened, man. The, you know, this record here, the message is as great and as relevant as it was. It was the beginning of the end for these cats, man. I mean, they broke up after this because they weren't prepared legally. They weren't prepared financially to handle the windfall that came. No doubt. But at the same time, it should serve as a cautionary tale to new crews to make sure that you do have all those things ironed out before you get into the game. Mm -hmm. Make sure you do have your team. Make sure your team is tight. Mm -hmm. Because if you come into the game and any of that stuff is raggedy, you're going to be pulled apart. It's just that simple. And, I mean, like you said, man, I mean, this, this, this release was so apropos for the time. Right. Because, like you said, this was 1982. So this was at the beginning of that white tsunami. You know what I'm saying? This is when nobody understood how to deal with it mm -hmm. from any degree. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement, the medical field. The drug dealers who were even selling it didn't even know, understand what they were dealing with. You know, think about, remember New Jack City when, uh, he, when he first brought the crack to Nino? Yeah. And Nino looked at it, he's like, man, this ain't nothing. This is just little chipped off pieces. He's like, but I'm telling you, man, you know, G Money told him, I'm telling you, man, they come back so quick on it. So that tells you when that thing hit, it hit so hard that everything was toppled. You understand what I'm saying? Everything from the schools, I mean, everything. The infrastructure took a hit when crack hit. When that white tsunami hit, the infrastructure, the social infrastructure took a major hit. And this LP right here, this song, and some people may say, wow, he called it an LP. You got to understand, the message running time, I think, is 12 and a half minutes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think the message is close to 15 minutes long, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these were released on, <laughs> these were released as singles, podcast listeners. You, this, this, this wasn't 16 tracks on a CD, nah. <laughs> but this was a 12-inch. <laughs> <laughs> aficionados right yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but uh when it hit when that crack thing hit nobody understood it and you see throughout 
this entire, pretty much, I would say about 60% of this song is talking about crack. It's talking about the effect of crack babies. It's talking about the effect of crack on the hood. You know what I'm saying? And it goes on and on and on. That's why the name of the cut is called The Message. They were trying to get it out early, mm -hmm. which is why it hits so hard. Because everybody was seeing, again, being the street reporter, and again, this is a retrospective, but because this was so closely made to the streets as far as production value, as Scott, you just mentioned, you understand what I'm saying? So the lyrics and everything were a little bit more raw, so they were a little bit more closer to the actual events versus being two years away, 36 months in the past, so on and so forth. They're talking about stuff that's probably eight to 10 months old. Because this is just 1982. You know, the more we talk about this, this record and the impact of, uh, of the message, the impact of Flash and this crew, the more I think that we should have done this earlier, right? Because what do we say? Every album review that we do, we always talk about, number one, the reason why we're even discussing that album in the first place, and that has everything to do with staying power and timelessness, right? And what goes hand in hand with timelessness and staying power is the overall you know, no pun intended, the overall message that the artist is bringing to the table, why it, it stays and resonates with the listener so much. But this right here, this record right here is, you know, the precursor to all of that. This is, you know what I'm saying, the definition of and aptly titled the message. This whole record is a message to the listeners, a precautionary tale against pimping, a precautionary tale against drugs, a precautionary tale against the effect of addiction. It's a lesson for all the kids coming up that are, that are thinking of dabbling in that part of the game, you know, to stay away. Right. But even he says right here in verse four, he said, my son said, Daddy, I don't want to go to school because the teacher's a jerk. He must think I'm a fool. Mm -hmm. He keeps going on and on. But then he gets down to my favorite part where he says, you got to have a con in this land of milk and honey. There isn't any other way that this kid is seeing getting ahead other than having a con, having a way to get over. So we done lost all sight in 1982 as the message so vividly described. We have, at that time, we had lost all sight of how to do things right mm -hmm. in this country because of that white tsunami and how it was put into the hood. And we talked about that before. You just can't leave it on that though. I mean, well, you gotta focus on everything they've done to the hood to keep, uh, to keep people down in the hood. Like I said before, the hood doesn't matter what color, what race, you know, what creed you are. It doesn't matter if you're a female, male, doesn't matter, none of that. But the thing is- Talk that, talk just, that. But on every corner, you got a liquor store. You'll see a liquor store here. You can go down the street, it's a liquor store. Across the street, it's a liquor store. And the funny thing about it, and it's not really funny, it's pathetic, but the funny thing about it is to me, you can see the liquor stores, the chicken, the chicken places can be right next door to each other. But you got them, liquor stores, chicken, fry, all kind of fried food and liquor and beer all over the place in the hood. And then on certain blocks by the shoes that are hung by the wires, you can tell what's being sold on that block, what you could you know, what you could pick up on that block. And God forbid, if you go to Poppy's store on the corner of the bodega, you might be able to get weed from whoever's behind the counter.
Broken glass everywhere. People pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise. Got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far. Cause a man with the touch of repossessed my car. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me 1982, I mean, it was, it was a shifting in the American culture. And not just because hip-hop had come in, but because of a lot of different things that were going on socially. And it was great that hip-hop came in when it did, because even though it was only five years old in 1982, it, was, it had become extraordinarily influential in, in the music realm. So when the message hit, like you already said, Scott, I mean, it hit like gangbusters. Yeah. It was on every radio station, and I'm from Pittsburgh, PA, and we had one black radio station. Mm -hmm. And there was one radio station who played black music maybe once a month. And that radio station was called B94. <laughs> and the black radio station was called Whammo. And the message was playing on B94 because some white kids came up to me in school and asked me, hey, you hear that new song? <laughs> and it was about, you know, of course, a month later after I had heard it, of course. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, it, the message, if you, if, you, if you really look at it, the message was one of those first we are the world type songs that just kept playing and playing and playing. I mean, you would hear it everywhere. I mean, you started hearing the message at freaking high school graduations. You understand what I'm saying? For me, the lyrics are more impactful than the beat. How classic that beat was. You could take it and you could apply it to anything moving right now and it was still... Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But you can apply those lyrics to CNN's headlines today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, conversely, you can do the same thing with the lyrics, exactly, you know, absolutely right. Right. My brother's doing fast on my mother's TV. Says she watches too much, it's just not healthy. All my children in the daytime, Dallas at night. Can't even see the game or the Sugar Ray fight. The bill collectors, they ring my phone and scare my wife when I'm not home. Got a bum education, double digit inflation. Can't take the train to the job, there's a strike at the station. Neon King Kong standing on my back, can't stop to turn around. Broke my sacroiliac, a mid-range migraine, cancer membrane. Sometimes I think I'm going insane, I swear I might hijack a plane. Don't push me, call, I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under You know, we go back to what Flash brought to the game You know, not necessarily the production of, you know, or, the, or being the headliner for this particular group, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I'm talking about just the innovations that he brought to the DJing game, you know. I mean, extending the break. I mean, he was one of the first guys to sit behind two turntables, find the break of a record, and then extend it as long as he, as he needed to. Basically, he would get two records, put one on each turntable, cue it up, and just keep that break going as long as he needed to, as long as he needed to to keep that party going. That was Flash doing that first. Right. The back, the back spin technique, yeah. the punch phrase, right. scratching. Ooh, he was talking about that. Of the scratching. Right, right. He was, yo, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Although they say it was originally credited to uh, 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 Grand Wizard Theodore. Uh -huh. it was, he was originally supposed to be the one that created Scratch. Uh -huh. But you got to say, 
Grandmaster Flash brought it to a bigger audience. No doubt. And he 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 just destroyed it with his scratch. And you sustain the beat using a mixer. Going back and forth with just moving that button that's in the middle of in middle of those two turntables. Right, and, right. and remember now, this is wax. This ain't these this ain't two, <laughs> two laptops or one laptop sitting here nah. and you just spinning these little discs. Nah, this is wax. They had to move back and forth. They couldn't just twist something with their hand. This is wax. They say he could play a great beat for like an hour. But he kept the party going and all he did was recycle that beat, recycle that beat. It's one man two turntables and a mic and a set of headphones and he's bringing the noise to you all night all night Woo! he was the part you right, know i mean right. and that's why i gotta believe that that's why they chose him to be the headliner of this of this super group grandmaster flash and the furious five even though he was just a and i i feel bad saying it but just a dj you know what i mean he was who people came to see they came to see flash Back then, the DJ was the party. You came to see exactly. the DJ. The MC was just there to supplement what the DJ was doing. You see what I'm saying? And so, like like Det was saying, before, you know, I mean, he invented so many techniques that are still in use today. You know, think about the time you got to keep in your head to pull something like that off. You know, one of the reasons that uh, the scene that won for the T-shirt from uh, David, I can't remember his last name, Klopek, I think is his last name, Yep, was because Flash was in the kitchen cutting and scratching with Fat Five Freddy. But that just goes to show you how rudimentary everything was back then. Back in the day, they had to put Grandmaster Flash on the message. Otherwise, the message wasn't going to get out right. because it was the DJ who was out in front of the MC. Mm -hmm. Today, they replaced the DJ with automation because, you know, the DJ now, and I'm not, and please don't anybody get mad at me because I don't want to besmirch anyone, but I'm just, you know, we're just talking and being honest. The DJ now is the production engineer. Timberland's a DJ, but he's a production engineer. That's, you know, I don't know which came first with Timberland, the chicken or the egg, whether he was a production engineer making beats in the studio or whether he was a DJ first. But now with everything that you can do with auto masking and so many different things you can do through a mixer right on your freaking iPad, you can have a freaking 12 year old put together something that sounds damn near studio quality, you know? So that DJ got replaced, which is why the industry knows that all they got to control now is one piece of the pie which is the lyrical content. Hence, the industry puts that gimmick together and puts that out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you look at this, like you said, Scott, this was done very close to the street. They had a VHS recorder sitting up on their shoulder. 
a big shoulder joint. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think in some of the scenes, you can see the boom mic operator. <laughs> yeah. <you're right. laughs> Especially when they're standing up on the uh, broken down building behind them and they're just up on the steps in the front. Right. <laughs> I think a couple times you can see the boom mic operator. <laughs> You know, that was that was that was cousin Jimmy who just needed to get out of the house for that day. Right. You know, I'm just joking. I don't know if that was cousin Jimmy or not. But uh, <laughs> but my point being is you, the point is you can't get them brothers to work at the car wash to work electrical stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's another good point. That that's a very good point as well. Oh, just put the duct tape on it right here. <laughs> No doubt, no doubt, you know, but, but yeah, because when you look at the lyrics, Scott, I mean, just like you said, you know, Flash was in the backspin in the record, mm -hmm. but when you look at, like, you know, it, it's so funny to me how, I don't know if it's a subconscious thing that other artists do, or if it's intentional, but, and I don't know if maybe I'm, sometimes I'm reading too much into things, but remember uh, Spike, Spike Lee's movie Which with, uh, Wesley Snipes. Oh, uh, Mobile the Blues. Nah, the other one, uh, uh, Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever, yep. Right? Mm hmm So verse three, now one of the, you know, scenes in Jungle Fever, Gator goes and steals his mama's TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what does he tell Denzel? He said he smoked, smoked it. it. Just tell her. No, 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 no. But remember what? But remember what he said at first. Nah. She watches talking? too much TV. It's just not healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's right there. My brother's doing best on my mother's TV. Says she watches too much. It's just not healthy. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. So I, there. I don't know if that's an intentional borrow. It's gotta be. That Spike Lee did. It's gotta be. Or if that was just unintentional off the cuff by Samuel L. Jackson when he was talking to Wesley. They just vibing off the same life experiences, you know what I mean? They, they just know what it is, but it could be, it's got to be. I mean, he definitely, I think he paid homage to them on this one. It's, it's you think he be. paid homage? Yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence right there. That's, that's a good pickup. I didn't even notice that I, one. I got you. But it's just, it's just my point to, you know, uh, when, you, when we're looking at hip-hop and we're looking at it as this art form that it is, and it is that street reporter, and we're looking at the, what's going on socially in 1982 with the crack epidemic and how it's turning families against one another. I mean, this song, The Message, basically broke down how cocaine destroyed America since 1980. Yeah. From start to finish. That's the message behind the message. So when you listen to the message, the next time you listen to the message, pick up on the message. Because our country hasn't been right since this crack, since the cocaine explosion. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, man, when you, when, you, when you look at this thing, from top to bottom, it is still happening today. 
A child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. God is smiling on you, but he's frowning too, because only God knows what you'll go through. You'll grow in the ghetto, living second rate, and your eyes will sing a song, because the hate, the places you play and where you stay, looks like one great big alleyway. You'll admire all the number book takers, thugs, pimps, and pushers, and the big money makers, driving big cars, spending 20s and 10s, and you want to grow up to be just like them. Huh. Smugglers, scramblers, burglars, gamblers, pickpocket peddlers, even panhandlers. You say, I'm cool, huh. I'm no fool, but then you wind up dropping out of high school. Now you're unemployed, all non-void, walking around like your pretty boy Floyd. Turn stick-up kid, but look what you done did. Got sent up for an eight-year bid. Now your manhood is took, and you're a make tag. Spend the next two years as an undercover fag, being used and abused to serve like hell. To one day, you was found hung dead in the cell. It was plain to see that your life was lost. You was cold and your body swung back and forth. But now your eyes sing the sad, sad song of how you live so fast and die so young. So don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. <laughs> Yo, Mel, you see that girl, man? We just finished talking about the message. And I, I want to say one thing first before we move on to the next. I mean, the point of this episode, right, was to focus on the career and, um, you know, the accomplishments of Grandmaster Flash, being the icon of hip-hop and all that. But I think, you know, responsibly, we should also talk about the other side, you know, the, to keep things fair and even. I mean, you had Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, and we kind of hit on it, you know, during our discussion about the message. But, you know, and listening to interviews and reading interviews and things of that nature, all is not well between Flash and the rest of the Furious Five. I mean, you know, R.I.P. Cowboy, but... All is not well between them. There was an interview, I believe it was between Scorpio and a hip-hop publication earlier this year, back in May. And um, he was basically re relaying the sentiments from the other members, the other surviving members of the Furious Five, right? And um, basically they were saying, you know, they're still performing. They're still trying to perform. They're still getting bookings and things of that nature. And what he's saying is it's very difficult to get booked as just the Furious Five. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, that group that we all know and love, it doesn't exist anymore. It's just Grandmaster Flash is doing his thing. The Furious Five is doing their thing. So, but he said it was very difficult to book just the Furious Five because Flash is the marquee name, right? And then the discussion then veered off into, well, why? You know, if, if Flash is not mentioned as a producer, or as a contributor on some of these key records that we're mentioning. He was the one in the club, he was the one rocking the party. But as far as you know, being in the studio and putting all these sounds together to come up with the message, to come up with freedom, to come up with white lines, to come up with super rapping and things of that nature, his name is not mentioned in those credits. And so Scorpio took issue with the fact that when it comes time to, to do bookings and when it comes time to receive credit, It's Flash getting all the credit, and it's not the Furious Five. Well, I think what you're seeing there is when it started to become what's more important. Is the DJ more important, or is the hip-hop artist, or is the rapper more important who's putting all, or the MC at that time, because they were MCs. Right, right. Is the MC more important because I'm keeping the crowd moving? Right. And what they first realized, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, 
put two talented people in the room and you're, you know, you're bound to have issues, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, to some degree. But, and so what you saw here is just those, that battle of who is more important because it all started with, like we said before, it was the DJ. Everybody was checking for the DJ and the MC was just some dude he would bring around who could rhyme over what he was playing. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't necessarily, it's kind of like a Kit Kat, right? You put your chocolate in my peanut butter, you know what I'm saying? Because once the two came, came together, there you go. You know what I mean? You put right. that, and that was that, you know, you're seeing that, that first battle, if you will, between what's more important, the, the, the DJ or is it the artist? Because if I'm Scorpio, I'm not happy either because I'm writing these lyrics. Right. I'm the one that got to remember these lyrics. I'm the one that got to practice over and over, make sure, dude, you're back there. Yeah, you're important because you, you got the beat. But you take away the beat, my lyrics are still good lyrics. I mean, you know, you, you think about the time period and when, you know, all this came to be. I mean, the DJ was the most important one. You know, like, you couldn't get anybody to come to the party by saying Scorpio was going to be on the mic or Mel was going to be on the mic. You said Flash is going to be <clears throat> back there DJing, and then you have a party. I think that's where he's beginning to take issue because, yeah, Flash is back there, you know, spinning, but they're the ones up front on the mic. They're the ones controlling the party. Right. I'm not saying that, mm -hmm. you know, what I just described was the correct perspective oh, of saying that yeah. mm -hmm. that's his perspective you know what i mean i can understand where what he's saying right right because on the surface it looks as though just spinning the record in the back is a little bit easier than what i gotta do up front because if i'm not doing what i'm doing up front and i'm not doing it well then are people really going to still vibe to what you're playing in the back because we have heard plenty of rack rappers and have said what about them but that was an okay beat <laughs> yeah but do we go and pick up whoever made that beat? Unless it's somebody like a Timberland or something like that, that's on a different you know, level. But do we really research and say, okay, even though that was a rack, whack dude on the mic, the production dude, who is that? No one's really doing that, mm -hmm. who aren't in the business to really understand you know, how that thing is really put together. But just the regular consumer, if they hear something that they think is trash, they're not looking for whoever put that beat together. They're not trying to track them down to see what, who, which other artists they've worked with. That's true. I just wanted to give both sides of the argument, though, both sides of the, of, of, of the equation to keep things fair and even, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, honestly, I mean, you, we, we talk about this all the time offline. We could talk about Flash until next year, you know what I'm saying? But um, I think that also includes, though, the sentiments and feelings of his former groupmates, you know? That brings us into the next track, which I think, you know, is, is perfect segue from the last record the message and everything that went along with that and that's white lines another you know monster record very very important for the time period because it went against drugs and it talked about you know the dangers associated with drugs and why honestly why you shouldn't do it and it used hip-hop as a medium for it yeah i would have to agree with you mm -hmm. i mean because at the end of the day you know this was at that period you know what i mean when cocaine was so readily available throughout the country mm -hmm. and especially in new york i mean if you've ever seen a documentary called cocaine cowboys oh yeah mm -hmm. you know what i mean when the cocaine godmother you know when she was down there in uh, florida she was running from new york in the early 80s mm -hmm. 
and that's where she learned. So again, the street reporter is just out there pushing it forward to a very real degree. You know, he's talking about from the time you pick it up to the time you put it down and everything in between. Right, I mean, sitting here listening to this song, I mean, you look and you uh, listen to the to like the production value of it, and I can just imagine. Like being up in like Studio 54 in New York or being in a nightclub and this song comes on. Everybody's coked out of their minds, right? That's the funny part. Yeah, and this song comes on and everybody gets up and starts dancing. And everybody's screaming, don't do it as right. they're doing each one of these. Freeze, rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You know what their eyes redder than the devil. Dotted. So red they maroon. <laughs> and they their eyes all half closed and their mouth is open dry from all that use of that cocaine. Yeah. They was into the song. They don't even know. I'm gonna tell you the truth. Some of them don't even know the lyrics, but they knew the beat was there and they just they just jumped and shook to the beat. Oh yeah, because the beat was that hit. cocaine had their mind going. That cocaine had their mind on Planet Zoltar. <laughs> <laughs> and the hook. The hook, the end of the hook to me, you know, you can get real clever with the hook. <laughs> mm. But the way this hook ends, and don't ever come down, free base. <laughs> That's the hook. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and the way the beat crescendos at that point, you're sitting there like, eh. for me, I was a young dude, and I'm listening to this. Now, I had never at that point in my life seen cocaine but i knew this song was about cocaine let me tell you something man two things about this song one it was a contradictory statement because it said you know free race don't ever come down we all know just by watching new jack city 15 minutes later he was back trying to chase that horse he was back trying to oh, yeah. trying to oh, get yeah. high oh. and to go back up to that level mm. and that's what created such monsters because you're chasing that once you chase once you take that hit they were usually trying to chase that hit all over again and get there again which they any crackhead or any uh anybody that smoked the, that stuff back in then will tell you you will never ever get as high as your first hit but you just keep chasing it trying to get back to that level so that was a contradictory statement secondly i hated this damn song <laughs> why because I was a graffiti artist and a breaker. To me, you know, it was like, it, it was too many words for you to really get into the, you know, into the breaking and stuff like that with this song. Yeah, you could use it and still do your thing, but it was just, it was too much for me. It's like, I hated this. Especially even if you sat up there and you was breaking or something like that at a club. When this song came on, you stopped breaking and you grabbed a girl and you tried to dance at that point. So it took you away from doing your breaking thing. And you just had to sit up there and dance. <laughs> Wasn't no close dancing. That's the time you want to grab your girl and get on the wall and close dance. But I'm about to date myself for this. People don't remember this. The Eddie Murphy. Wow. <laughs> that dance came out. <laughs> but yeah, that kind of messed your flow up for the night. How you going to sit up there, break, get up, grab a girl, dance with her for a minute, then turn around and be like, yo, I'll be right back. And then you get to the floor. Yeah, by the time you come back to the girl you told, I'll be right back, Jody done got your woman. <laughs> so it's over. Not Jody. But uh, but you know what, though, guys? And uh, I mean, when I when I think about this, this White Line song, one of the parts that really, really stuck out at me uh, was verse three. You know, and 
we talk about often when we look back on some of the tracks that we're reviewing how we think about it from a dual perspective because we reminisce on how it made us feel when we first listened to it and you know where we were at that point in our lives but now we look at it also from a retrospective type of view you know to, to get that hindsight 2020 type situation and plus we're elevated thinkers so we're looking at it with a little bit more wisdom so when you look at verse three and you think about what was implemented back then and remember you didn't have like a whole year of build-up and production before something came out this was you know the life cycle of what happened on the streets to the wax was probably about less than six to eight months so you're getting pretty frequent or pretty up-to-date information so when you see what they talk about in verse 3 and you think about the war on drugs and you think about now how the war on drugs you know that whole methodology of incarceration and arresting just just dismantled the african-american population you see what this what they were saying back here you know in you know 1982 and Everybody was so focused on the whole cocaine part of the song. There's a deep message right there as to what was going on, and it was right in front of our faces, and we did not push out against that. Street Kid gets arrested, going to do some time. He got out three years from now just to commit more crime. A businessman is caught with 24 kilos. He's out on bail and out of jail, and that's just the way it goes. So that was that whole inner city incarceration, that crack versus that powder, that rock versus that powder, that war on drugs, that, you know what I mean, two, two pieces of crack is 15 years in jail, mm. and 15 kilos is, you know, pro is probation. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but hip hop, if we allow this art form to educate us, to speak to us, it tells us our history, it, it, it covers the last 30 years. And if you're trying to get into hip hop, this is what you gotta understand that your responsibility is. You have to continue this type of work to lift up the community, talk about the social injustice and keep pushing forward. Maybe that was the intent. When Millie Mill wrote this, I mean, maybe he, he wrote it with the, with, the, with the hope that people would sit around and dig into the lyrics and have these same type of insight. But were they really lyrics? I always thought to myself, who the hell made this song up? Like, like, this is a song to me sucked. Nah. And I mean, I got to, you know, listen, mm-hmm. listen, they, the whole group, I love them as a whole. You know, they, they you know, salute to them, all that. But you got to be, you got to be honest about how you feel about certain things. And I felt that this song was one of the ones I did not like. I felt it sucked. Mm-hmm. And I felt they could have done better. I felt that they were just trying to fill room on the album. That's the way I felt. Now, I could be wrong, but that's the way I felt regarding this. But it is still a legendary album. But as as uh, artists, they got to be able to take a critique themselves. They said the rest of the album was fire, and that's what it was. I guess the reason why I like it, though, is because there's so much reality in the lyrics, man. There's, there's just so much. I mean, let me, like, for example, towards the middle of the song, he says, a million magic crystals painted pure and white, multi-million dollars lost almost overnight, twice as sweet as sugar, twice as bitter as salt and if you get hooked baby it's nobody else's fault so don't do it i mean there's just warnings like that throughout the whole record man you know and um again you know me this is me looking at it through you know my grown man lens you know what i mean back then when i was a kid i mean i just listened to the beat 
because I couldn't relate to none of this. You know, this is not something that I was into back then. You know what I mean? So I feel you on that part, but Mel definitely felt a responsibility, man, to, to send this message, you know? They were trying to feel dead air. That's <laughs> what they were trying to do. Nah, feel dead air. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you, do you think that people have Dead's opinion because the album was so fire, and back then this track was overshadowed, and maybe later on it developed more of a following, if you will, or more of an understanding. But at the time, because there were so many people who were doing coke, it kind of got like, ah, uh, kind of pushed to the side because, you know, we're, we're over here with the message, and we're over here with this, and we're over here with that. Ah, uh, kind of white lines later. What do you think about that thought? I don't know who did it, who dropped it, or who told them, listen, we need something else right here. All right, I got it. White lines. You know, that sounds like something they sitting in the studio getting high. And it's like, yo, listen to this. Look, we doing these white lines. Oh, yo, that's hot. Put that on. And then it went from there. It was a filler song. I, don't, I know filler songs when I hear it. <laughs> but I think, I think it was made as a, you know, they felt some type of a social responsibility, man. I think, you know, they made it with the intent that it would be listened to and that their warnings would be heeded. You know, they, they looked at themselves as, you know, being responsible to, to, to actually say this, you know. And you know what? That's the way I look at it as well. And I hope we're both correct about that because I would be mm-hmm. very disappointed if they just threw this together real quick <laughs> as just an aside. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, throw that over there in the corner mm-hmm. and they were just unintentionally lucky. You know what right. I mean? Because, you know, while the track is repetitive, you know, the beat's slamming, but the track is, in my opinion, it is extraordinarily poignant. Mm-hmm. Next track, Scorpio. Now, this is just really an instrumental. I mean, there are some, you know, some some words that are said amongst the members of Furious Five on the track, but this record right here, when I hear this, you know, when I go back and listen to the message, the LP, the message, and I hear this song, I think of one thing, and that's breakdancing. You know what I'm saying? Popping and all that. I mean, this, no doubt. this right here is the track that they will put on to get to get that part of this to get that part of the party going right here oh yeah bring back memories that oh yeah being on the dance floor people flipping off walls windmilling all kind of stuff yeah it brings back memories mm-hmm. brings back serious memories so this track scorpio i mean this right here is what you know really you know put i mean flash is already on the map but i mean i think this this track right here set him into the stratosphere, you know? Well, this is, this is, you know, Flash basically making his statement as to why I should get all the money, <laughs> why I should get all the credit. Right. Because what he did was he took a whole instrumental that, I mean, my goodness, I mean, what? If you listen to the extended LP, <laughs> it can go as long as almost 10 minutes, right? Oh, yeah. And it's just music. It's just straight music. Right. So this was kind of like that whole, 
you know, I don't need the hip hop artist. I don't need the rapper. I don't need the MC. This is just as much as hip hop as somebody standing on the mic rocking over a beat. Oh, no doubt. And to some regard, this right here is even more hip hop. Because what are you doing when you hear, you know what I mean? You got your B-boy stance on, you know what I mean? Everybody, I mean, come on, man. If you were in the spot, like I said, man, I grew up in Pittsburgh, PA. My cousins, they were really good at it. They had their own crew, represented Pittsburgh very well, called the Kingsley Robotic TikTokers. So I used to be able to go and watch these cats at like the convention center and different clubs and different, you know, venues and for different functions. I mean, think about breakdancing broke into the advertising medium before hip-hop did. Graffiti was the first thing to break into advertising, and Dead had talked about that a couple episodes ago, because then what we saw in Wild Style and stuff is that these businesses, they started hiring these graffiti artists and different companies started hiring these graffiti artists to, to, to do murals, to, to, to beautify what the side of their buildings looked like. You know what I'm saying? So that was the first foyer into using it to help business make make money. So then you have, because remember you had all those breakdancing commercials. I'm thinking of like car commercials, like Ford commercials. Back in like 1983, yep. 84, you would have breakdancers. You didn't have hip hop music. It was just people windmilling. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. It was just people windmilling and stuff. I remember. I think Burger King had the first, I got to look up the first hip-hop commercial. The first commercial to use hip-hop, you know, as an advertising medium. I think that might have been Alfonso Rivera with uh, Coca-Cola when he did that with Michael Jackson. I know I know there was a lot of, uh, a lot of our culture used to sell stuff, and still is. For me, this is one of the tracks that really set Flash apart. I mean, say what you will about, you know, what his crew thought about him and, and John I think you hit on it pretty good you know in the last segment there had to be an element of jealousy there but there's no there's no debating Scorpio was one of those tracks that you put on in the club and it got things started it got things going and I think this track like just like you know probably more than any other with the exception of maybe wheels of steel is what cemented his legend you know what I'm saying no doubt. It made a DJ's job very easy. Mm -hmm. You put this on, you put on the wheels of steel, you mix this in, you mix in the wheels of steel, mm -hmm. you got about 20, 25 minutes worth of people sweating on the dance floor, and everybody thinks you're the greatest DJ of all times. And that's exactly and what happened. Play. <laughs> yeah. But today, man, these young cats don't understand what it is to put out that high-quality work that will be timeless. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you understand, you understand what I'm saying? Like create something. Mm -hmm. Don't just keep borrowing from here and there and there and make a quilt. You know what I'm saying? You know, cause a quilt is just a lot of different patches from old blankets. That's right. how quilts used to be made. You know, blanket wore out, take the best piece about it and save it and another blanket, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. You got a quilt. Right. Don't make a quilt, make a blanket. Right. You understand? But that's what cats aren't doing today. Cats are throwing out quilts. And you know that. And you know that. We don't care if you're age 10 or if you're a senior citizen. Because we got a beat that just won't end. So you better get ready to rock, my friend. You see, we got some news that you can use and offer that you can't refuse. We're giving up honey and you got to come. Because, because you're the one. Red, yellow, black, white, 
was devastating. Grandmaster Melly Mel was absolutely devastating. And he was the man back then, just like he's the man right now. You know what I'm saying? His brother, Kid Creole, also devastating. You know what I mean? But when I say that, that, that Flash was the most important member, I'm talking about for visibility, you know, for getting these guys out and booking gigs and, 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 and doing parties, not just in New York, you know what I'm saying? But like nationwide and worldwide and whatnot. I mean, people knew the name Grandmaster Flash. You know what I'm saying? More so than they knew the name The Furious Five. More so than they knew the name, you know, as as blasphemous as it sounds, more so than they knew the name Grandmaster Melly Mel or Kid Creole or Raheem or Cowboy or whatever the case may be. I'm not saying Flash is the most talented member, but um, he's the most important member from a visibility perspective. I mean, it's all about marketing, you know? Exactly. You, always put, you, know you always put that one out front. Right. You know what I'm saying? You That most recognizable name, and because rap was so young mm -hmm. at that time, mm -hmm. more people were checking for the DJ versus checking for somebody rapping, some hip-hop artist. They hadn't put it together yet. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, you just have to give it up to, to Grandmaster Flash as being the most important one at that time because that's who everyone was checking for. He already had that following. Right. He was bringing along, you know what I'm saying, the Furious Five. They were coming in on him. Right. So, you know, when you think about it from that perspective, then I think it just lays it kind of flat. When you're paying that ticket, <laughs> and, you know, I think, Scott, you said it already, he's the first, he's the big letters on the marquee. Right. That's why it's and mm. the Furious Five. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And over time, over time, the Furious Five, you know, specifically Melly Mel, they took issue with that. Because they saw themselves as being just as integral, just as talented, and just as part of, you know, what was going on as Flash. And you know what? They were right. They were absolutely right, man. I respect the Furious Five, Kid Creole, Melly Mel. I respect those cats. Mm -hmm. You know, Cowboy, Scorpio. I, come on, man. This hands down to those dudes. I don't take anything that you said, Scott, in a way to besmirch any of the, you know, Melly Mel or, you know, to, to downplay his ability. Uh -huh. I'm just looking at the fact that when you're putting that marketing thing out there, like you said, it's a business decision. Right. Who does everybody know right now? And as we said, I think on episode 10, you know, the Jay-Z episode, a high tide lifts all boats. Then we can go ahead and really do this master plan. But unfortunately, that master plan fell apart because that money started breaking that team down. You know, once that bread got serious, yeah. when it became more than just, okay, here's your, you know, I'm just using this number just for, you know, for the purpose of using the number. But here's your 2,000, here's your 2,000, here's your 2,000. Everybody was cool with that. Mm -hmm. But as soon as those 2,000s turned to 15 and 25,000s, then it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I should get 20. I, sh I, sh I should get 32 and you should get 17. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I feel, man. Forget Flash. I'm with Millie Mel. <laughs> Flash did me wrong, man. I know him. Uh oh. Oh. Uh -oh. It, uh -oh. Scott he stole just, my Scott. move. <laughs> he stole your move. He stole my move. Listen, we was hanging out behind stage at a concert. I'm the only one in the room got gum. I step outside to talk to security for a second. I come back in the room. We all sitting there watching TV. My gum is missing. Only person chewing is Flash. 
So I'm just staring at it. Flash turned his back to me. And turned back around, he ain't chewing no more. So he swallowed the gum. I'm still staring. He's sitting there looking at me like, what's your problem? You, I said, my gum is missing. <laughs> yeah, my gum is missing. He sit up there and said, I don't like gum. And take a stick of gum out of his pocket and put it in his mouth. I'm looking at him with my mouth open like, oh, oh, now you're going to punk me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the comedian that I am, before Flash goes on stage, I lock the bathroom door. So they're trying to announce Flash. I'm already on stage on the turntables. I pull a dress shoe off and start scratching on the turntable. The crowd is going nuts. Security come get me off stage. Next thing I know, I'm in the back of the crowd. Flash and took off two dress shoes. And he up there cutting the scratch. Man. <laughs> stole my move, Flash, man. You stole, you're wrong. You stole my move. You ate my gum, and you stole my move. You're wrong, man. You're wrong. I know you went back, and you sued for royalties. I should sue you for, for moves. That's what I do. One dress shoe was my move. You put two dress shoes on there. How you get the idea for the dress shoe, Flash? Huh? Tell the truth. Tell them all. Uh-huh. You're wrong, man. You're wrong. Yeah. We talk, we, we talk at length, the three of us. Offline, right? About the direction of the show. I ain't lying. You can't make this stuff up, though. I ain't lying. I believe you, that. I believe you because you're my man. But, John, listen to me, man. We talk about people we should bring on the show and interview. Right. Right. Not realizing, and I'm going to apologize to that right here, real quick. Not realizing that we got the man right here that's responsible for hip-hop all together sitting right here on the show with us man i ain't responsible you know what you know what i think you for the hip-hop beef see beef started with that (laughs) (laughs) that's what happened flash jay-z listen the boy uh uh, what is this boy uh skittles no uh eminem that's him it all started (laughs) with me beef started with me that. Forget 50, forget Ja Rule. I started this. Listen, I think that I think you have the distinction of being backhanded by every artist that we talk about on this show. You can I think they just be trying to punk me to see if I'm real or not. That's what it is. Dang. But Flash Flash went too far. You don't take a man's whole pack. That's man law. You don't take the man's whole pack of gum. That's like taking the last beer in a man's refrigerator. You don't do that. I don't know. That, that is true. That is don't 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 take my last beer. That is very true right there. I agree with that. I had listen. I had Puerto Rican electric fence climbing shoes on, and I pulled one of them off <laughs> and started cutting and scratching <laughs> with the one. And he gonna sit up there and and, and gonna take two of them after that and start doing what he got to do. You wrong, Flash. Oh, you wrong. That you don't you don't know this, Deb, but John and I, John and I have been taking a collection. We're going we're going to get you some help, man. We're going to get you some professional yeah, help. Yeah, we are. That I don't know, I just don't know what to do with you, man. I really don't. You know what I'm saying? But um, you see I, what I'm saying? See what Flash will do to you? Flash mm-hmm. will mess your mind up. <laughs> yeah. Told you.
next track we're gonna talk about is Beat Street. And um, you know, we kinda hit on that, well we did hit on that last week, uh, two weeks ago in the episode that we did when we talked about the movies and whatnot. But um, you know, Beat Street, the song, you know, take away the movie, right? Take away the movie, take away everything that goes with that, the Hollywood and all that, and just, just concentrate on the lyrics of the song Beat Street. And the one thing I gotta say about this particular track here was it was ahead of his time. Melly Mel, the way he flowed on this record right here was just bananas. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was sophisticated. His lyrics were intricate. You know what I mean? His 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 rhyming is his you know his 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 cadence. It was it was you know the topic of discussion. I mean, if you take, if you go back and look at the lyrics of Beat Street, I mean, it was definitely years and years ahead of his time. You guys agree? 100%. Yeah. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely way ahead of his time. I mean, it, it still resonates today. Absolutely. The, the history that, that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It's definitely ahead of his time. I, I, you know me, I'm a, I'm a Beat Street fan and historian. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's gonna be what it is. I mean, in the first verse, he paid homage right up front to graffiti. You know what I mean? He said, "Well, a picture can express a thousand words to describe all the beauty of life you get. And if the world was yours to do over, I know you'd paint a better place to live, where the colors would swirl and the boys and girls can grow in peace and harmony, and where murals stand on walls so grand." as far as the eyes are able to see. There's that message of upliftment. You know, that's hip hop in its core right there. Using your creativity, using what you have to deliver a message of upliftment. And there's no greater example than that right there. The first verse of Beat Street. The movie that we all go to, you know what I'm saying, as kind of the standard of what hip-hop is all about. What impact did them breaking up, what impact did that have on this record, on on, on the Beat Street record? I mean, Mel, I mean, Flash had nothing to do with it. It was just, it was just Mel, right? It was just Mel. Yeah, yeah. It, it really was just Melly Mel. And that's why, if you look in the video, like, or you look in the movie, you see somebody look like Nikki Six in there, <laughs> just behind him, lighting fireworks off or flames off, mm. and or Nikki Free, whatever the, the one of <laughs> Prince's uh, people in this group was. Yeah, yeah. But you have people up on stage, and I, I'm kind of like, you know, when I first saw it back in the days, and I'm young, I was looking at it like, oh, that's, you know, that's Grandmaster Flash for Curious Five, or that's Melly Mel in the Curious Five. Then, as you, you really get a chance to look at it, you're like, wait a minute. That's like only like three of them that's up there, and the rest of them are just extras. And especially, like I said, after a while of growing into a young man, I got offended because that dude is kicking all high next to Melly Mel's face and lighting fire. I was like, I'd have punched him in his neck <laughs> instead of get, get that close to me. You kicking like like that boy. This ain't Richard Simmons. Go somewhere. That's a real shame though, man. Because those brothers right there, I mean, they released some incredibly important records together. I mean, that album, The Message, I mean, that pretty much laid, it helped lay the blueprint for hip hop, period. You know what I'm saying? The relationship between the MC and the DJ on wax. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, and it pretty much followed that blueprint all the way up until now. Exactly. No doubt, man. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, and my favorite part of the uh, song, Beat Street, believe it or not, 
is the very beginning because you know how it starts off, right? Yeah. It starts off with that bang, <clears throat> bang, yep, yeah. yeah. bang, bang, and then it comes in. When I first heard that, I thought that was the coldest thing in the world, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whenever I first heard that, and the fact that the, you know it was centered around the movie, of course, and the whole movie was centered around. You know, a, a very new culture, a very new art form that was exploding on the scene and nobody knew what to do about it. And then you look at the lyrics of the song and the movie Beat Street don't really marry up to a hundred percent degree. No. Because I think the lyrics of the song go way deeper than what the movie went. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, do Ramon, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All that and okay, cool, you know. But I'm looking at it from the perspective of, you know, how these lyrics are, are just coming out at you and just snatching you up, especially for the time frame that we were in. Because, you know, when you look at Mel just goes through this whole entire cut, man. It's like he, he just, he doesn't breathe. He just closes his eyes and he goes in that zone and he just goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's talking about all those struggles that everyone was going through at that time. So this, in my opinion, is one of the... I would say one of the most underrated songs, but I think it's a very underrated song in the hip-hop world. Absolutely. Where it, mm-hmm. it, it should get way more accolades. That, and you know what? I was, for I was all the things that. That, it, that it, yeah, it should get way more accolades for just all the different things that it has brought in. You know what I'm saying? It should be mentioned here with, with one of the, the, the greatest songs of all times, but you never, ever really hear that unless it's true old school hip hop heads people may say oh the message is hot i kind of i kind of think melly mel kind of destroyed the message with beat street it's like he 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 you know that out that uh, that song overshadowed the message even though the message was a whole album mm-hmm. you got to sit right, there and think right. about all right that one song kind of overshadowed the message and and the more and more as i look at look at this like i look at flash's face on the cover of some of these albums he looked like he got gum in his mouth then Oh, I feel like I should just break the album just because of that right there. <laughs> uh-huh. But one of the things that, man, that, that gets me about Beach Street is, again, we're always looking at it from that two-sided mirror. We're reminiscent of when we were kids, and we're looking at it now as adults with that wisdom. So when you look at, like, you know, the, I think it's the third verse in the song, and he starts in with a newspaper burns in the sand and the headline reads, man destroys man. Mm-hmm. And then he goes through and then he starts talking about the rise and fall, the last great empire. The last great empire is who? The last great empire is the United States. Yeah. The sound of the whole world cotton fire. What's going on right now? The ruthless struggle, the desperate gamble, the game that left the whole world in shambles, the cheats, the lies, the alibis, and the foolish attempts to conquer the sky. He was recognizing because, you know, artists oftentimes are ahead of the culture in which they live in. If you really look at artists throughout the time, throughout the annals of time, artists have always had that extra innate sense to, in order to be able to express themselves. And they're, because they're so much of an emotional being, they're taken in the universe totally different than a lot of other people. So the universe is always speaking to us. And I just think he was, you know, since he is an artist and this is just came out through him, he was just looking around at what was going on and just looking forward as if we keep going on in the direction that we're going right now in 1984, this is, this is going to be our reality. You know, the rise and fall, 
the last great empire. He damn sure wasn't talking about Great Britain. Nah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? He wasn't talking about the fall of Great Britain, England, you know, the royals. Mm -hmm. So who was he talking about? And in the 80s, in 84, you know what I'm saying? Reagan was pounding his hand on the desk. And we were, you know, everybody was, you know what I mean? Everything was, you know, was supposed to be great. We're, you know, looking at, you know, Star Wars or whatever that freaking uh, space program that Reagan, you know, dreamed up to. Anyway, we're, we're not getting political on that one. But my point being is oftentimes artists are ahead of their time with the message that they're trying to deliver. Right. So I'm not calling him the light-skinned Notre Dame, but what I am saying is there is a little prophetic uh, vision in what he was putting in this verse. There definitely is a prophetic vision there. And it shows true understanding. My comment, John, was going to be exactly what you said. I was going right to this verse right here. And if I can, can I, can I build off of what you said and kind of keep going? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Because I didn't want to do because I wanted yeah. to do the whole verse, but I had to stop. You got, I mean, if you look at this verse, it, it's Mel had a level of understanding that was beyond his years. And it was obvious, it was obvious because you know he wrote this. And it was obvious, you know, in this in this record. And that's what made me say this song is 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 way ahead of his time. He goes on to talk about the agenda of the US, right? He says the president just forgot about Earth, spending multi-billions and maybe even trillions. The cost of weapons ran into zillions. He's talking about the overall defense strategy that the United States, you know, um, is, is, is utilizing in the overspending. Then he goes on to say, there's gold in the street and diamonds under their feet. The children in Africa, they don't even eat. Flies on their faces, they're living like mice. And the houses even make the ghetto look nice. So he's like, you know, what are you really going after? Are you really trying to defend, you know what I'm saying, these people? Or are you really going after resources in Africa? It's, it's just real obvious. The water tastes funny. It's forever too sunny. They work all month and don't make no money. A fight for power, a nuclear shower. And people shout out in the darkest hour of sights unseen and voices unheard. And finally, the bomb gets the last word. Christians kill Muslims and Germans kill Jews. And everybody's bodies are used and abused. That's an MC right there. Come on, man. So just throw your hands in the... Oh, oh, I'm <laughs> God damn it. I think that comes a little bit later in the song. <laughs> I think that comes a little later. Here's a little story that must be told about two cool brothers that was put on hold. They tried to hold us back for fortune and fame, and they destroyed the crew. They had to kill the thing that they have to step on the evil, step on the pride. But two cool brothers stood side by side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. Go ahead. No, I was ready for Scott to play the cup. <laughs> I'm enjoying it tonight because you know what is 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 true history about Grandmaster Flash with a with a little twist of Melly Mel in there. You know, so this was like the perfect drink pour yeah. right here to me. Oh, there you, you go. Got yeah, Grandmaster oh, Flash yeah. with a twist of Melly Mel at the end mm -hmm. and. That that just set it off right there, and a few years five was that that salt around the rim of your 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 uh, you know your margarita. Like this was that was the ultimate super group to me right there. One of right, right. This this was the first super group to me that that, that before Wu Tang, before anybody else, they were the original ones. And you know drama tears you apart, but I think if they had stayed together, 
Whoa. Oh, man, the music Whoa. they could have made? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This, this crew was so heavy, man. If you think about everybody who was in this crew, I mean, and, uh, every single one of them, if they would have made it out of the 80s, where would hip-hop be right now today if all these minds stayed together? You understand what I'm saying? Just perpetuating the art form at that time. When you, when you dig into it, man, I mean, these cats, man, they were doing it for the love. This was definitely, that's why the lyrics are so on point and extraordinarily poignant. You know what I mean? If, and, I mean, we, we definitely got to finish that off just talking about, because everything seems so apropos for today. Egomaniacs control the self-righteous. Nothing is sacred and nothing is pure. So the revelation of death is our cure. Think about that. That is right now. Superiority, if you go up to, if you go up a line, superiority complex is deep-rooted. Anything that's deep-rooted has been placed underground. It's been placed there in order to grow. Podcast listeners, please forgive me for a minute. I got to, <laughs> but I can't let the superiority complex part of it go. Mm -hmm. But just bear with me because that right there is glaring with the white privilege. I got to just say it because that's what it is. That's, that's what he's talking about. And if you think about what was going on in 1984 and how, you know, black folks were being squeezed on all sides, you know, you think about, you know, the labor markets were shutting down and most middle or not most, but a high percentage of African-Americans throughout the country who were in the middle class were in the labor force. So you have 14 percent, I'm not making that number up, you can Google it, unemployment for African-Americans in the 80s, from about 82 to about 88, 89. Double-digit unemployment numbers for African-Americans throughout the country. So when you, when you look at the whole, you know, Ronald Reagan trickle-down economics and everything going on with all that, and you, and you listen to these lyrics, and again, as a kid, being in the house that I was in, I was not necessarily as deeply tapped into these lyrics as I am right now, but I definitely understood back then what he was saying through that right there. Because as we talked about before, when African Americans first came to this continent, we used to communicate through our coded language. So he's using this coded language right here and he's talking to the minds that are awake. And that superiority complex is deep-rooted. He's talking about from the time since the inception of this country that, that has been put into a certain race of people. When you are the superior one looking down, or excuse me, the proposed or the assumed superior one looking down, you're, you're automatically thinking that you don't understand what it is of the perspective of the person looking up. Mm -hmm. And if you're the person looking up in that position that you have to look up, you don't understand the perspective of the person looking down on you. You just see them as superior and you don't understand why, why do you feel that way? But he what? opens that Pandora's box for you right there because he's telling you it's a superiority complex. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, I'm, from, I'm, from I'm, glad, I'm glad... I'm glad you tied that in because I was sitting here lost, uh, looking at you like what? Like you went, <laughs> you went off somewhere on me, and I was like, how did we get to Al Sharpton's speech? And all of a sudden, it just stupid. You yeah. just went off, and you brought it back around. And see, I'm glad you brought us there, back around because I was looking at you like, where are you going with this? 
Yeah, John gets John gets John gets deep, yo. I love it. That's the thing. It's yeah. like you gotta sit there and honestly, you gotta get you gotta get the fishing pole with John sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh that actually, you know, and I know I kinda get deep sometimes. It's just but it's funny because Beach Street was actually, to my recollection, one of the first hip hop songs my mom liked. And one of the reasons that she liked it is because, you know, of course it's blaring out of my room, so she had to hear some of the lyrics, but my mom liked music, you know what I mean? So when she did listen to some of the lyrics or was hearing some of the lyrics, and then she would come to me and she came to me and she said, you know, what did he say there? And I would tell her and so on and so forth. So she talked to me about this. So back in the day when she went and she broke this down and she was like, yeah, you hear him say that superior? This is what he means by that. This is, this is you know, it could mean this and so on and so forth. So I apologize for taking everybody out in deep waters, but, you know, sometimes when you're talking to me, you got to get on a life vest. Nah, never that, man. I mean, perspective is what this show is all about. You gave him a heavy dose of that. And I love what Detron said before you started talking, John. He said that this right here is like the perfect drink, you know, starting it off with Flash and it ended up with, uh, with Mel and all that. I mean, I think that describes it perfectly. And for me, what I keep going back to is the perception of hip-hop not just back then, but right now. The perception of hip-hop by what I feel is the majority of music critics is that it's not a serious thing. It's bullshit, right? It's, um, it's, this, it's nonsense. It's noise. You know what I'm saying? But then when you go and you look at lyrics like from Beat Street, you realize that critics are full of shit, right? There is a deep level of understanding of not only life, when you listen to Mel's lyrics, but of government, world politics, not just U.S. politics, but world politics. These were smart brothers, smart brothers, man. And not just them, but I mean, pretty much, you know, the majority of the hip hop legends and the MCs that we've been talking about are brilliant people, man. And the message that they're that they're giving is is money. My family that stays behind me. You know, you guys are making us a great success. Uh, thank you to some of the heavyweights of hip hop uh, that hopefully will uh, will be breaking some news on the upcoming show. So you guys stay tuned for that. Thank you to all those that follow me at my shows and those that are buying my T-shirts and and uh, the T-shirts. Uh, for the the <laughs> different people to come to visit us, they want their own T-shirt. So we got to give it to y'all. Y'all want them? Y'all want to get them? More than likely, they'll be out. So that's Peter. Uh, what's what's the Uncle uh, Uncle Demon <laughs> with the W for Warrior? Uh, you got uh, JL and you got. Uh, well, let's see. She got Sugarfoot, and you know, wait a minute. I'm getting touched on my shoulder. <laughs> okay, <laughs> IGB <laughs> wants his own T-shirt too, so <laughs> we're gonna have IGB's T-shirt out there too. So make sure y'all pick up those Light Podcast T-shirts, 
and when the other t-shirts come out from the Light Podcast uh, crew, uh, you know, like I said again, JL, Uncle Demon with the W, Sugarfoot, uh, <laughs> Peter, and IGB, <laughs> when his shirt comes out, I think y'all better buy his first. <laughs> All right, so thank you for listening. Y'all have a good one. And as always, guys, listen, I really appreciate, like I said before, all the love that we've been receiving on the fan page. I want to just give a quick shout-out to a couple people. First and foremost, as always, my family. I really want to, you know, tell you guys I love you guys. I really appreciate the support, my children, everybody that's around me, my wife, you know, allowing me to do the things that I can do through this podcast, giving me the time that it takes in order for us to put, you know, these episodes together. So I really appreciate that love. I really appreciate, you know, my younger brother as well. You know, uh, he's been really pushing a lot, the uh, light podcast information. I mean, every time I talk to this dude, Scott, like every two days, he's like, yo, man, I need some more cards. People are loving it. <laughs> you got I need some more cards. You know? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? He's uh, also one of the first recipients of uh, the light podcast shirt. And of course, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably uh, checking out the fan page on Facebook. So he's a dude with the P-hat cock to the side. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I really just want to say a huge shout-out, huge thank you to him. Love you, bro. Thank you for pushing this rock up the hill with us. Um, also want to, you know, give a shout-out to a couple other people. Um, back in the 15108, Pittsburgh, you know, Coriopolis, PA. You know, really appreciate a lot of love that's coming out of the city right now. Got a lot of love coming from, uh, you know, a lot of people there. Really appreciate you guys. So, you know, just just keep pushing us. Just keep pushing us. And uh, we'll be able to do more impactful, insightful shows about this art form that we love and we so endearingly call hip-hop. You know what I mean? We're looking forward to giving you guys some good holiday content with uh, Run DMC, LL, you know, just to name a few that uh, are going to be coming down the pike soon. So uh, just just keep listening, and I appreciate you guys. Three minus four. My shout-outs, I would like, you know, to, uh, to again, you know, thank my family uh, for being so supportive, you know, specifically my sister, who I think is my most, my most staunch critic. She's honest almost to a fault, and she's had nothing but great things to say about us here on the show. She listens to it religiously. And uh, I just want to tell her, thank you. I love you. Um, also, you know, I tried to do this at least once once a show, but to give a special thanks, a shout-out to HHGA. That's Hip Hop Golden Age. I mean, these guys have latched on to us from the beginning, you know, when we were just figuring out how to do this podcast thing. And they've just been pumping out our episodes and, and, and helping advertise and, you know, promote our work on Twitter and Facebook and on their own website, hiphopgoldenage.com. Um, and we definitely 100% appreciate it. So thank you so much for that. And as we close out, I got one last thing I'd like to request of the listeners and those uh, hit up Facebook page. Because uh, I have a contest and a bet going <laughs> with some of the uh, some of the family members of the show. Peter's, uh, you know, he's a constant gambler, so I hope not to lose to him and have him back on, but uh, he thinks he's the best one that uh, you guys enjoy out there. I'd rather have my Uncle Demon come on, uh, but you guys let me know which family member of mine and a friend would you uh, like to have back on the show, at least, you know, to come visit once again, or your favorite one who has visited the show. So hit us up on the Facebook page and let us know, all right? Peace.
walking around like 